Well, hey everyone, I'm Pastor Judd Wilhite, and I wanna thank you for joining us today. You know, Central's a place where it's okay to not be okay. And we are so glad that you're here. I hope you enjoy this message. Good morning, good morning. Good to see you guys today. Thank you for being here. How many of you love Oreos? Who, who are the Oreo people? Wow, look at that. Talked to a guy last night, he said every morning he has two Oreos for breakfast. I didn't ask about his cholesterol, you know, I thought well, that's private, but anyway, so he, he loves Oreos. You know, psychologists say that the way you eat an Oreo has a lot to say about your personality. Uh, for instance, um, you know, how many of you pop the whole Oreo into your mouth all at once? Just boom, you know, the whole thing. So psychologists say this means you're, you're fun, you're exciting. It also means you're you're carefree, maybe a little reckless, maybe a bit irresponsible. I mean, you don't really want these people watching your kids, you know. Uh, another way people eat Oreos is to dunk it in like milk or in coffee. Who, who are the dunkers? The dunkers. Psychologists say, man, uh, you know, everybody likes you because you're always sort of upbeat, but you also like to sugarcoat things and you like to rationalize bad situations. In fact, you're in, probably in total denial about your so-called life. <laughs> Keep dunking though. You're good. And then there's some people, they just eat the wafer, right? Like they, they don't even eat the middle. They just want the outside and eat the wafer. Who are the wafer people? Like psychologists say you like pain. There's one more group of people and they just eat the middle. Any, anybody just eat the frosting? Like, like you peel it off, you just lick the frosting and then throw the, the wafer part away? Yeah, psychologists say you should seek professional medical help immediately in your life. Anybody want, anybody hungry? You guys, you guys look, you look like you need an Oreo. Well, obviously like, Psychologists don't say that. But the truth is, we all eat our Oreos a little bit differently. We all come at life a little bit differently. We have different backgrounds, experiences, perspectives, different home lives, different parents, different tendencies in our families. We have all this stuff that we bring to life. And sometimes all of those differences can be very complicated. Sometimes there are things underneath the surface that drive some of the decisions that we make. And we're not even fully aware of what those are. And we can find ourselves kind of captive in our own ways, maybe captive to a certain tendency in our life, maybe captive to a substance, maybe captive to a hurt from the past or to a loss that we've gone through in our life. And we keep kind of moving along. You know, studies say that most of us will go through five really significant transitions or more in our life, but five is the average, and that could include loss or, or move or something really significant that is hard to kind of deal with, and sometimes we don't ever deal with that stuff, and we just carry it in our lives, and before long, all this stuff can start to weigh you down, and you're no longer the best version of yourself. I mean, I don't know about you, but I think most of us, 
would love to be the best version of ourselves that we could be. I mean, at least in my best moment, I'd love to be the best version of a dad that I can be for my kids. I'd love to be the best version of a spouse that I could be for my wife. I'd love to be the best version of a pastor that I could be for you, for the Central family. I'd love to be the best version of, you know, a Cowboys fan, except they fail me constantly. Like, there's... there's there's a lot, of, a lot of things in my life that I want to be the best version of, but I, I fall short. And sometimes I fall short for a lot of different reasons, but sometimes it's because I'm not really dealing with the stuff under the surface in my life. I'm not taking inventory. I'm not letting God do his work of healing there. I want to talk to you a little bit about that as we talk about how we can break free and move forward in our lives. And to do it, I want to look with you at the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus is the second book of the Bible. It's known as like the freedom story of the Israelites in the Old Testament. Exodus just means the road out. And so the Israelites were in captivity to Pharaoh in Egypt, uh, could have been up to a million Israelites. We don't know exactly for sure, but it was a lot. And um, they were slaves uh, to the Pharaoh. Uh, they were his labor force. And God raises up a leader, Moses. Um, we saw this last week. Moses goes to Pharaoh and she says, let my people go. And this whole thing begins to unsue in the book of Exodus, which is known as the Ten Plagues. Ten different times, Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let God's people go, or, you know, this plague will come upon your people. And Pharaoh continues to be stubborn. He continues to have a hard heart. And again and again, we see this cycle continue. And in the book of Exodus, just so you know, it's not just like Moses and Pharaoh. It's sort of a divine cage match between God and the Egyptian God, Ra. It's the Israelite God, I am who I am, and the Egyptian God, Ra, and Pharaoh, and was kind of seen in this divine role. And God, they're kind of squaring off in the book of Exodus. Here's what we read, chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. It's the second plague. Moses goes back to Pharaoh, says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go back to Pharaoh and announce to him, This is what the Lord says. Now read this out loud here with me. It says, What? Let my people go. That's the message. Let my people go so that they can worship me. But if you refuse to let them go, I will send a plague of frogs across your entire land. I mean... God's like, here, you got two choices. You got freedom or it's going to be a frog apocalypse going on in your life. And when God says frogs, he's not talking about 10 or 1,000 or 10,000 or 100,000 or 500,000. He's talking about frogs like you have never seen before in your life. And so Pharaoh has a choice, but Pharaoh makes an excuse because he's able to get his magicians to sort of uh, mimic aspects of the first plague, the plague where the Nile turns to blood. He's get, he gets his magicians to get frogs to come out of the Nile. He thinks he can control the situation. He thinks he's got this, right? Like, like he's the man, he's Pharaoh, and his magicians can do some of this. I'm good. I'm cool. I'm all right. And isn't that a lot like us? Have you ever thought you had something that you didn't have at all? Have you ever thought you were under control with something that you weren't under control of at all? Have you ever lied to yourself like you're good and you're cool and it's all good until it blew up in your face so significantly you realized there's nowhere left to turn or hide. You just had to face the truth, you know? I think we do this in our lives. And one of the challenges 
that we learned from the book of Exodus is this. If you want to be free, first you got to face your excuses. You got to face your excuses. Uh, we can come up with a lot of different excuses in our lives. Uh, I saw this um, little thing on social media. It was different excuses employees came up with for why they called in sick for work. This might give you some ideas to bring this up. One person just says, uh, employee was feeling all the symptoms of his expecting wife. He's like, man, I, I got morning sickness here, y'all. Like, uh, Anyway, here's, here's another one. Um, employee called from a cell phone saying he was accidentally locked in a restroom stall and no one was around to let him out. <laughs> it's like, if you called on the phone, bro, just call the front desk. Anyway, um, here's the third one. A buffalo escaped from the game reserve and kept charging the employee every time she tried to go from her house to the car. I mean, that's, we're getting pretty creative at this point, right? You know, it's the buffalo's fault. We're pretty good at excuses in our lives. And Pharaoh is going to come up with his own excuse. So, so... Basically, Pharaoh refuses to let the people go, and so frogs come out of the Nile, hundreds of thousands of frogs. I mean, the Bible says that there were frogs in their bread baskets. There were frogs in their ovens. There were frogs in their beds. Even in Pharaoh's bed himself, frogs. Can you imagine the sound? How many of you hate crickets? Just one cricket can ruin your whole day, you know, cricket, cricket. Can you imagine like ribbit, 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 ribbit. Millions of ribbits all I've been going crazy. And I mean like, like you get in bed at night and you squish over on a frog. You get up in the morning to go to the bathroom and you squish a frog, frog guts. I mean, nasty. You, you go to cook and you got frogs in your pans. You, you put your bathroom robe on, there's a frog in your pocket. That's some nasty stuff going on up in here. And basically, Pharaoh, in short order, is like, all right, this is out of control. Calls, he calls Moses back in. He's like, just, just stop it. Just stop the madness. What does it take to stop the madness? Moses says, it's easy. It's the same thing I've been saying all along. Let God's people go. This is what Pharaoh says, okay, I'll, I'll do it. And Moses says, you name the time. And this is what he says. Exodus chapter 8, beginning in verse 10. Read out loud the red word when we get there. He says, do it when? Tomorrow, Pharaoh said. Do it tomorrow. Now, let me just ask you, if you had frogs in your kitchen, frogs in your toilet, frogs in your bathroom, frogs in your bed, frogs in your closet, frogs everywhere, if you had the sound of frogs, the smell of frogs, the slickness of frogs all over your world, wouldn't you want that to end today? Right now. Brother, what do I got to do to make that happen right now? Pharaoh says, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. And so there's a receding initially because Moses says, all right, he gave us a word. He's going to do it tomorrow. So the frogs start to recede. He gets a little relief. And you know what happens tomorrow? Pharaoh hardens his heart and says, I changed my mind. And he's going to do this. This is the second plague. He's going to do this eight more times. Eight more times. But we're not so different than Pharaoh in our own ways, are we? Because don't sometimes we use that word tomorrow real conveniently? I'm going to do it tomorrow. 
<laughs> I'm about to go preaching now. You know it. You can feel it. Right? It's like, you know, tomorrow I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change my diet. Right? Tomorrow I'm going to deal with, I'm going to lose some weight tomorrow, but today it's nachos. Tomorrow it's on. Right? I'm going to get on it. I'm going to deal with that addiction in my life tomorrow. Right? I'm going to reconcile with my, my parents or my family members. I'm going to forgive that person tomorrow. I'm going to get a workable budget tomorrow. Right? I, 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 I'm going to get honest about my spiritual life tomorrow. I'm going to start dealing with some of the stuff that I know I'm carrying in my life tomorrow. Tomorrow, tomorrow. And if we're not careful, tomorrow is just another word for never. Because tomorrow becomes tomorrow becomes tomorrow becomes tomorrow. And we just put it off. And we put it off. And then we start to get the red flags in our life that, man, there's really some things we need to deal with. You know, in my own life, one of the, one of the ways I know I need to deal with some things is when my compassion meter starts to run really low. Anybody feel me here? Like when your give-a-care meter is in the red zone... And I know you feel me because I drive on the 95 freeway. And there's no compassion on the 95, man. They'll leave you for dead right there on the side of the road. Just die in the, uh, in the shoulder area and stay off the lane. It's brutal, man. So, I, uh, so, so when my compassion meter gets low, I start to come up with excuses. I I'm tired because we have kids. Come on, you, I know you love your kids, but let's just be real. It's more than you ever thought it would be, isn't it? You're like, dude, what happened, man? I'm out here flailing around in the deep end. I, I mean, I love these kids, but bro, I remember when we first had kids, and I go to work. I hadn't slept in like three weeks, and I walk in, and I'm like a zombie, man, and nobody cares because the world just kept going. The sun came up. People can, and you're just expected to be there, be present. And I'm like, oh, God, slobbering on myself. And then they grow up, and you think it's going to get easier, but we'll just let you experience that on your own, okay? I'm just, I'm not going to kill you here. You get married, and you love that person, and you marry them, and you marry their family. <laughs> maybe a good thing, maybe a stressful thing. I'm not judging. I'm just saying, somebody in the room right now is like, dang, that's more than I bargained for. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Work's crazy. The hours they're put on you is crazy. The stress feels crazy. Adulting is exhausting. And most of us would admit, I think, it's maybe a little more than we bargained for. If I knew when I was 16 sitting in my bedroom that that was the most free time I was going to have the rest of my life, I might have managed it different. <laughs> you tell kids that today and they're like, whatever, YouTube, video games. Um, so it's easy for me to blame when I'm tired, when my compassion meter gets really low. Right? When I'm not the best version of myself. I, I often say it this way. When my inner pastor is dead. <laughs> when I'm not that guy. It's easy to blame. But the most powerful thing I've learned that I can do is look in the mirror and face my excuses. 
and realize this. I am ridiculously responsible for my life. Only a few of you are clapping. Some of you aren't. But let me finish the thought. I'm ridiculously responsible for my life. It is not my kid's fault that I'm depleted and exhausted. It's not my boss's fault that I'm depleted and exhausted. It's not my in-law's fault that I'm wiped out and exhausted. It's not anybody else's fault. Ultimately, it's my fault. Because I have not led myself well. And the most powerful thing you can do is look in the mirror and realize I'm ridiculously responsible for my life. I can put boundaries in my life. I can change some things. I can get rid of some things if I need to make some different financial decisions so I don't have to work 400 hours a week. I can make some tough decisions that might affect other people but allow me to keep my sanity. I can put some things in my life that allow me to, to basically not get to a place where I'm angry and enraged all the time at people around me and my compassion meter is zero. I'm responsible for that. And when I look in the mirror and face my excuses, then I can stop saying tomorrow and I can make some changes that can actually affect my life today. And here's the good news. You and I start owning that in our lives. And then we surrender to God and ask for his help in our lives. Well, now we're on the road to healing and to being the best version of ourselves. And here's my second thought for you. My second thought is this, to just take a next step. To just take a next step in your life. I, I saw this post on social media. I thought it was, you know, very applicable. Uh, this person says, I just completed a minor household task, which I have been putting off for 18 months. It took me 15 minutes. <laughs> will I learn from this? I will not. How many of you can relate to that right there? Yes. I totally relate to that. I've been putting off, like we have this bedroom in our house, I've got some workout equipment in there, and for a year, we've been wanting to reclaim it as a bedroom, right, for a year. But I just keep putting it off, because it's like a lot of work, and I don't know what I'm going to do with all the gear, and like, you know, like all the things, right, I just, and so two weeks ago, I'm standing, I have the door open, I'm just standing, looking in. I thought I was having a private moment, and my wife walks behind me, and she says, still looking, aren't you? She says, but are you ever going to do it? And she just kept walking and kind of felt like a challenge, you know, like, hmm. So this is what I did. I said, look, I, it's overwhelming to think about doing this, all this stuff. I don't know how long it's going to take, but I said, I'm going to do it for an hour, one hour. So I gave myself an hour. And you know what's fascinating? When you just take a step and start doing something. I did it. I did it for an hour. And then the next day, I thought, you know what? I can do another hour. So I go in for another hour and then another hour. And within like three or four days, the whole thing was done. Boom. I've been looking at it for a year. I've been dreading it for a year. I've been thinking, what am I going to do with that gear for a year? And it just took a little time, but I had to take the next step. And then I walked around to Lori and I said, yeah, you see that? Look at that. Who you doubting now? Anyway, Pastor Andy Stanley said this. I thought it was great. He said, your direction, not your intention, determines your destination. So your direction, 
Not your intention determines your destination. A lot of times we have the best intention. I'm going to get it right tomorrow. I'm going to make that change tomorrow. I'm going to work through it tomorrow. But if the whole time you have great intentions and you're stepping in this direction, that's what's going to determine your destination. Which way are you stepping? Which way are you stepping? And it doesn't have to be a big step. It can just be a little step. Like for some of you, maybe you're in a place right now in your life where you know you need to address some health things in your life. You need to, you need to get, get in shape, man. And maybe it's just, hey, I, I'm not going to worry about walking five miles, but I'm going to walk one, one, lot, one round the block, 10 minutes. Take a next step. Just, just start doing something. Maybe for some of you, if that's where you're at, like maybe you, you, you pay for a gym membership, but you haven't been in forever. Like just say, I'm going to drive by the gym today. I'm, I'm not going to go in. I'm not going. I'm not committing. Don't make me commit, pastor. I'm not going in. But I'm going to drive by and be like, what's up? I'll be back. And then maybe the next day you just... You just drive in the parking lot like, oh, close, but don't think about it. Not yet. But day three, it might get out of control. You might get out of the car. Just go in for some social time. I'm not working out. I'm just going to get a drink. Talk to people. What's up? How you doing? Sweating a lot right now. But if you just start taking a step, what I can guarantee you is over time, a step becomes another step, becomes another step. Let me tell you, spiritually, you took an amazing step just getting to church, right? Some of you got up, you're like, I'm tired. I'm tired. I, you know, I got a lot going on right now, man. Do I really want to go to church today? Right, I, got, I got a lot happening in my life. And I would just say, like, sometimes you got to push against that and say, well, I'm going to take another step, and I'm just going to keep showing up. I'm just going to keep showing up. I'm just going to keep moving in this direction. I'm going to keep taking steps. And if I keep moving in this direction, that will eventually start to determine my destination, where I am going with my life. Right? More than your intentions, your direction determines your destination. So good job. Maybe for some of you, uh, you got some stuff going on in your life and you need to forgive somebody and let go of some of that bitterness because it's, it's not allowing you to be the best version of yourself. And so, man, that could be a phone call. It could be a text message. Or maybe you're not ready for that. But it could be a prayer. And you just write it down. Type it in your phone, whoever this person is, and just pray, God, help me forgive. Help me let go. Even though they don't deserve it, help me do it anyway. And what you'll find, you just, you start praying. I've found in my life, praying for my enemies, and I don't mean my friends, I mean my enemies. You know, that they're mixed prayers, if you know what I'm saying. God, teach them. I mean, <laughs> show them who you are. I mean, you know in a loving way and stuff after you crush them with your <laughs> holiness. When you start praying for your enemies, it starts to change how you feel about your enemies. It's really hard to hate a person you're praying for. It doesn't mean you're ready to have dinner, right? But you can start to let go of some of that stuff and release them to God. And sometimes just praying for them is the first step. 
may not be ready for a conversation, but you can just start to pray for them. Ask God to do something in their life. Exodus chapter 10, beginning in verse 16, we see some more plagues come on Pharaoh. The plague of gnats. Can you imagine so many gnats? They're, you're breathing them up in your nostrils. The, the, the plague of locusts. Locusts everywhere. Jillions of locusts. The plague of flies. I mean, I hate flies. What is the purpose of a fly? I don't know. But man, there, there are no flies everywhere, the plague of flies, all this stuff. Like, And Pharaoh just keeps digging his heels in. And eventually, he, Pharaoh's quickly summoned Moses and Aaron. I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. You think? <laughs> he confessed. Duh. And what does he say? Forgive my sin just this once. Aren't we on like plague five by now? And plead with the Lord your God to take away this death from me. Here's what you're going to see in Pharaoh's life. This is kind of an SOS prayer, but he doesn't really want forgiveness. He doesn't really want a changed life. He just wants relief in his situation. And so he says, forgive, forgive. And then once again, he's going to harden his heart. Ten times the book of Exodus says, Pharaoh hardened his heart. And 10 times it says, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. People say, hey, wait a minute. Can God harden somebody's heart? Well, it's in the Bible. I didn't write it. You got to wrestle with that. Like, what does that mean? But I think part of what it's getting at is this. There is a mystery between human free will and divine providence and power. And Pharaoh over 10 times, hardens his heart, and then God hardens his heart, and then Pharaoh hardens his heart. And I've been like that. I've been stubborn. Anybody ever harden your heart? You know what I'm talking about? Come on, don't lie. You're in church. Yeah, man. I've been stubborn. When I was in my addiction years, I was stubborn, man. I knew, but I hardened my heart. I did things I regretted, looked back on and wish I could undo. And I, I can be stubborn anyway. Just ask my wife. But here's what else I've learned. If I will soften my heart, if I will draw near to God, the Bible says, God will draw near to me. Right? I, can, I don't have to be stubborn. Because you know what stubborn often gets you? It gets you one more night with the frogs. <laughs> stubborn gets you another night with the flies. Another night with the gnats. Another night with the consequences. But a soft heart can lead to God's mercy moving and working in your life faster than you can imagine. And so, maybe celebrate recovery is a great next step for some of us. Just a community that meets on Tuesday nights where you can start dealing with a hurt or a habit or a hang-up in your life because, you know, it's time to stop saying tomorrow, and it's time to deal with this today. Maybe that prayer request, writing it down, praying for somebody is a next step in your life. 
uh, maybe jumping into a ministry, serving, allowing God to use you in some way is the next step in your life. Maybe right now you're like, I'm just, right now I feel like all I can do, I'm going to commit to going to church every week and making it a part of my rhythm. It's a next step in my life. Whatever it is, if you'll take those next steps, one will lead to another, and I believe we can become better versions of ourselves. And I want to talk to you about one specific next step for those of you that have never been baptized in your life. One of the things you see in the New Testament of the Bible is that when people believe in Jesus, the very first thing we see them doing again and again is taking that step of being baptized. What does it mean to be baptized? You go down in the water for just a moment and then you come up out of the water, right? We saw people get baptized during the worship set. They go under, they come up. Here's the idea. Just as Jesus was crucified for us and buried and then we believe rose again, Romans chapter 6 says that we are buried with Christ in baptism. So you go down in the water, you united with him in his death, and then you come up out of the water, and now you will walk in new life. You're united with him in his resurrection. That's the picture of what baptism is. And anybody who's a committed follower of Jesus can be baptized and should be baptized. If you've never taken that step, you should take that step today. Don't say, I'll do it tomorrow. Don't spend another night with the frogs. Don't push it off. Just step out and say, God, all right, I'm going to surrender to you, and I'm going to allow you to move and work in my life. And don't worry. Like, like we're not going to hold you underwater. <laughs> Even though some of you, your family be gathering around like, keep them just a little longer. Just Wait for a kick, get a kick, and then bring him up, you know, like. No, no, it's quick. We're just down and back up. Baptism doesn't save you. Your faith saves you. Jesus Christ saves you. Baptism is an outward expression of that inward reality of what God has done in your life. But it is a powerful one. And some of you right now are thinking, well, you know, I should be baptized. I haven't taken that step, and and I feel led to take it. I should take it, but I don't have everything worked out in my life yet. (laughs) Like, should I have everything? I remember years ago, I was talking to my neighbor, and he's like, yeah, I'm going to get baptized once I kind of get my life together. And I remember I just looked at him. We'd known each other for a while. I said, that's never going to (laughs) happen. You don't get your life together to get baptized. Or put it another way, um, you know, you don't take a shower so you can take a bath, right? You don't get all cleaned up so that you can take a bath. You come as you are and you surrender your life to God and you believe in Jesus with the junk, the hurt, the habits, the hangups, whatever in your life. And baptism is a step to say, God, I need you. I'm marking this moment in my life. I'm surrendered to you and I need your help. And let me tell you, after you're baptized, your life is not gonna be perfect. You're still gonna have issues. You're still gonna have sin. You're still gonna have challenges. We all do. That's the normal human experience. But you've taken a step you can always look back to and say, I gave my heart to God. God, and I followed through with baptism as a picture of what that means. Some of you maybe were baptized as an infant in the Catholic Church. Maybe your parents took you to church and kind of you were um, sprinkled as a baby. And sometimes it can feel like if you get baptized as an adult, like you're negating everything your parents did. You're dishonoring them in that act. And my perspective is that I believe you're actually fulfilling what your parents did. Because they took you to the church, they prayed for you, they dedicated you, you were baptized. They're saying our heart and prayer is that our child grows up to be a follower of Jesus. And if you're in a place where you've grown up in your own faith and life and now you're willing to take that step as you understand it, 
Well, I think you can take that step, not betraying what your parents did, but saying this is a greater fulfillment of what they did in your life. Some of you are like, well, I was baptized before, 12, 15, 20, last week. Should I be baptized again? It's been a rough week. You know, like, is it time? You know, and listen, you don't need to be baptized again and again and again in your life. Thank God forgiveness isn't about being baptized. Otherwise, we'd just have pools everywhere and we would never leave the water. It'd be like sitting there and you'd be like, hey, man, what's going on? Oh, hang on just a second. Lustful thought. You know, I'm back. You know, like, can you imagine? Right. Crazy. So thank God, right? Like, like, that's just his forgiveness and grace that we have. Baptism doesn't secure that for you. But it's an important step. In fact, Jesus went 60 miles to be baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist to set the example for us. He commanded it and modeled it. And you see it in the New Testament again and again. It's the first thing believers do. In fact, uh, in the book of Acts chapter 8, um, this Ethiopian is riding along. And as soon as he comes to a place of faith, he's riding along in his uh chariot, basically. And here's what we read. Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 36, he says, look, here's water. They're just literally riding along. Look, hey, there's water. What? And this is the question. What prevents me from being baptized? I love how he worded that question. He doesn't say, like, should I be baptized? He says, what's getting in my way that's stopping me from being baptized right now? If I believe Jesus is who he says he is, if I'm surrendered to him, you could say a lot of things were in the way, bro. You don't have the right baptismal clothes. Well, there are no right baptismal clothes, right? You, you, you know, you're, all of your friends and family aren't gathered around you. But really all that matters is your relationship with God and what God thinks in this moment. And so what does he do? He gets out of the chariot and he goes right down into the water and he just gets baptized right there. He says, well, here's water. I believe what's keeping me from from doing it right now. So that's my question for you. What's keeping you from doing it right now if you've never done it? If you feel like God's leading you to do it. Some of you are like, well, I didn't bring baptismal clothes. Well, we have clothes you can, you can change into. You're like, I don't have a towel. We have towels. We're, we're good at this. We've done this for a long time. We have all the things you could ever need. You're like, I don't know. I don't have anything where I could put my possessions. We got little Ziploc baggies for you. You're like, yeah, but afterwards, what if I'm wet and I get in my car and I have my great leather seats? We have little glad bags you can lay down over your seats, keep your seats from getting wet. We got everything you need. You're like, yeah, but what about my hair? It's a good hair day, Judd. It's like, you know, it's a, it's a Sunday morning hair day. What do I do? I would just say, like, Jesus went to the cross for you. He went all the way for you. He died for you. You can get wet for him, and your hair will heal. It'll be all right. Say, so well, what about my kids? You know, I got I to gotta get my kids. And I would say, like, if you're here today, I want to give you a moment to come down front if you want to take that step in your life. And, and uh, if you have kids, you can give your little uh, pickup card to a friend or a family member if they're with you to get your kids. Or after, in just a moment, you'll have time. You can go around and get your kids and bring them out if you want them to be out to, to watch your baptism. But what I want to do right now is we're going to stand and sing. And as we do, I'm going to give you an opportunity, any of you that feel led to be baptized, to just meet me down front for a second. And uh, then we're going to give it up for you. And we're going to ask you to kind of go out ahead of us and start to get ready. We'll sing just a little more. And then we'll go out and we'll circle up and we'll cheer you on in that step of baptism. So would all of you stand together with me? Let's put our hands together real big as people come down front. If you want to be baptized wherever you're at, if you're up in the upper deck, if you're back in the lower back, 
Come on down front, come gather with us down here and let's do it. So we sing, come down to the river, let's wait in a little bit deeper now. All saints and all sinners, let's wait in a little bit deeper now. There's grace in this river, let's wait in a little bit deeper. continue to sing. We're going to continue to celebrate you and you can continue to make your way down here. Come on. So if you guys would just turn and face me for just a moment, you guys as well, I'd love to just ask you two questions in one. Do you believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and have you accepted him as your Lord and your Savior? Based on your confession of faith, it's our privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So we're gonna lead you out this side you see that uh, sign over there says, follow me. We're just gonna lead you right outside those doors, right into the hallway, let you get ahead of us just a little bit. And this side, same thing. We're just gonna kind of lead you out right over here and we'll uh, be out in just a moment to celebrate you guys. Let's just continue to sing and worship. Let them get a little bit of a head start today.
Well, hey, thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed this podcast, there are a couple of things that I'd love for you to do. Make sure to subscribe and review this podcast and connect with us on social media by following at Central Online. You can also contribute to what God is doing through Central. You can simply visit centralchurch.online slash give, and you can give a gift today. And thanks again for joining us on the Central Church Podcast.